Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now, today's message. How we doing, Covenant family? Oh, man, it's so great to see all of you. Welcome to, I just feel so excited to be able to announce this, our absolute last mask-required service. Y'all are excited, aren't you? I, I am too. I am too. I've looked forward to this day. I have some thanks that I, and frankly, I think you as well, uh, probably need to provide. But I need to tell you a little bit story of a story around the background of this. Uh, when we opened back up a little more than a year ago, we had a team of medical professionals here at Covenant that, that came around me because, believe it or not, they didn't teach me epidemiology in seminary. They don't have a class on that even. It's not a part of the curriculum. And so uh, as they were opening back up, there were a lot of mitigation measures that uh, made sense to me. Uh, there were some that I thought, oh, my goodness, how are, how are people going to respond? And so we got about oh, four, five, six months into this. We'll, we'll just say around September or October. And your pastor was starting to get a little impatient. Now, normally, and my wife will tell you, I'm a very patient man. I've never had a problem with that in any way, but I, I was. And so I, I met with those men and women and, and I said, hey, let's loosen up a little bit. You know, maybe, maybe we can do that. And, and they were very respectful, but very dug in. And they said, uh, if you want us to continue to give you advice, this is the advice we're giving you. And Pastor, we know that things may have seemed to subside a little bit. We still don't know the, the, the overall trajectory that this thing is going to take. And, and, and because I had promised them in the beginning, you all are the, the, the people who know this stuff, I'm going to let you lead it, um, I, I relented. I backed down. And I continue to allow them to lead. But you, you just need to know, full disclosure, your pastor almost broke his promise because I got impatient. And I wanted to kind of rush things and kind of get ahead. And I kind of felt like sincerely, like maybe we'll be safe and we'll be okay to do this. And, and, and so I, I let them do that. I promise I have a reason for telling you this story. Here's, here's what you need to know, what you already know. Then came November and December and January. And I don't have to tell you what happened there. Not only in our own community with the rise, not just in cases, uh, overflowing ERs, deaths, couple of area churches that could not have Christmas celebrations. Some of them lost leadership to this virus. A number of folks hospitalized. Uh, and through all of this, not one single time did I have to minister to a family who was struggling in some way with COVID-19 and have to do it with any sense of guilt that it was because of something we did. Not one single time. Did I have to look a family in the eye that was burying their loved one because of something reckless and rushed that we did? And it was during all of that that, that I, got, I started to get a number of text messages and emails, and they would say something like this. Some of you wrote those emails. Pastor, thank you for protecting us. Thank you for holding the line. And I remember reading those and thinking to myself, this is back in December, January, at some point, i got to tell my people the truth. 
And the truth, brothers and sisters, is this. Had your pastor had his way back in the fall, we might not be celebrating today. I don't know. I don't know what the end result would be. But I can tell you this, and I just, just full disclosure, I am not the one who has led us here. But I'll tell you who did. Jeff Kellogg, Jack Tennant, Susanna Pizzi, Clarice Otley, Jenna Richardson. I am profoundly thankful for those men and women for leading us and for protecting us, even when their pastor was sometimes behind the scenes pushing on them to take a different course. And I know some of you have a different opinion as well. It's one of the things I've learned in five and a half years, that covenant, there's always at least 45 opinions about everything. I know that, and I love you, and I love you. And even if you're one of those people think we went too far, we did too much, you came in, you showed up, we did what we asked of you because you recognize that you're a part of something bigger than yourself and you too have embodied the unity of the Spirit, the very thing that empowers the church to be what it needs to be. And I thank you for that. I bless you for that. And so as, as we look forward, I think what we've seen in this, and I think you'll probably see it later, I hope and pray you will like I do, uh, just a small glimpse into what I've been talking about for years and years and years, and that is that it is the entire body of Christ that God uses. In this situation, it was medical professionals and experts. In about another month or so, we're going to see this in our work with Vietnam, with our educators and people in other professions. The church is not the pastor. The church is the church. It's the body of Christ. And when people are engaging with their skills and their passions in the power of the Spirit to serve their brothers and sisters and through that to serve the rest of their community, there's absolutely nothing that can stop God's people. And so I am looking forward to looking forward. Amen? I really, really am. And God bless you and thank you for being part of this body. I love you, church. Take your copy of God's Word. Join me back in Jeremiah chapter 23. We've been spending these late spring, early summer weeks describing how faith can devolve into bad religion, something that's unhealthy, something that's toxic and, and oppressive. And, and last week we looked at one of the more prominent features. That's what we started with anyway, that a, there's a lack of concern for justice, a lack of concern for the vulnerable, kind of a wiping away and a shrugging of the shoulders. That's not really my responsibility. And today we learned that that and so many other bad practices are often rooted in false teaching and false teachers. And, and we're going to learn, I think, that one of the primary ways false teachers maintain their hold is by presenting us with messages that are attractive, Right? Like, my phone is in my pocket right now as I speak, and I'm going to start talking to you for just a few minutes, illustrating this point with the subject of weight loss, right? Diet plans. Anybody ever tried to lose weight? Anybody ever got suckered into calling an 800 number or clicking and purchasing whatever thing this was that goes around your waist and vibrates or whatever kind of thing it is, right? And so here's what's happened. I've just talked to you for a few seconds. I guarantee you this afternoon I'm going to go home, and the first time I scroll through my phone, there's going to be at least a half a dozen ads for diet plans, aren't there? Isn't that creepy? Like they can follow you around, and some of those messages are going to say something like this. Send us some money, and we're going to send you a plan or a pill or maybe both, and you're not going to have to change your eating habits, and you're not going to have to start exercising, and at the end of the month, you're going to look like Thor from the Marvel movies, right? It's, it sounds great. Doesn't it sound attractive? Maybe just a little bit too good to be true. Uh, or maybe you're in the need for some new furniture. Um, because you're like me and you have children and, and they destroy stuff by accident and you're like, we got to do it, but what are we going to do? We got bills to pay, we got taxes to pay, we got a mortgage that's due and then you get an ad in the paper when what does it say? No interest, no money down, no payments for one year. We'll furnish your whole house. It sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Till you get to the end of that 12 months and you don't realize, whoa, I didn't pay it all off and the fine print in that contract that I didn't read told me that all that interest is retroactive. 
right? So eventually what sounds really good catches up with you. And Christianity has its own forms of this. Most notable, and I've talked about this, I warned you guys about this because I love you multiple times, is the prosperity gospel. God's going to give you whatever you want if you just ask. And if you use the right formula and you plug Jesus' name in like abracadabra or hocus pocus, you'll never have to be sick or poor or disadvantaged. But, but this, this message comes in more subtle forms as well. And it tries to compete with genuine faith, forms that inevitably lead to bad religion, and often what sounds like freedom will actually end in oppression. And that's what I want us to be warned against today, and that was exactly the reality that, that Jeremiah faced. By the time we get to chapter 23, uh, we find him right in the middle of a prophetic ministry that would last for four decades. So you think about a pastor who's getting ready to retire sometime this year. If he's been in this business as long as Jeremiah was, that means he preached his first sermon in 1981. Who in here was not even alive in 1981? Come on, let me see your hands. Yeah, right? You're like, yeah, I wouldn't know. No, you wouldn't, right? That's how long this guy preached. And so you look at this, 80, 1980. You think a lot's happened in the culture since 1981? Yeah, it's changed a lot. Lots of ups, lots of downs, lots of all kinds of things happening. And, and so that's what's happening here. That's Jeremiah. Now, the book itself is not in any particular order. It's not in chronological order. And some scholars have even said it's almost like they got the thing printed and on their way. If there had been a printing press in that day, they, they tripped and they dropped it. And, and what we have today is just the whole thing put together because it's not in, it, it, think of it almost like newspaper clippings that are in no particular chronological order or even thematic order. But the clipping that we're looking at today is from a moment that came at a time of Jeremiah's greatest struggle. Toward the end of that 40-year period, he's been telling people God's truth. And for 40 years, he's watched them walk away from it. For 40 years, he's been mocked and scorned for telling people what they didn't want to hear. He's been persecuted by wicked kings like Jehoiakim, who actually had him put in stocks and, and humiliated him in front of the people that he was called to minister to. And he's been rivaled by prophets like Hananiah, whose syrupy words are just what Judah wants to hear. 40 years prior to what we read here in Jeremiah 23, Hananiah had come to God's people as they are going into Babylon, and he said, hey, we're cool. Two years or less, you're going home. Sounds attractive, doesn't it? Sounds very attractive. Reminds me of an idiot right at the beginning of COVID blowing a raspberry at it. Anybody still listening to that guy? Right? Don't raise your hand and embarrass yourself. But here's the main thing, right? I'd love it if a raspberry would do away with the global pandemic, wouldn't you? Wouldn't it be great? COVID-19, you're done. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Like, that's, that's the attraction of this thing. It ain't real. It's dumb as crap. But hey, it sounds good. It sounds good. So the people chose the lie of Hananiah over the truth of Jeremiah. And this preacher who started young, he's now entering the last season of his life, feels like a lone voice in the sea of voices leading the people that he loves astray. And this dynamic continued, by the way, into the time of the New Testament, and it's still a reality today. This is what Paul warned Timothy about in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He said to his young protege, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away in vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertion. This wasn't for Paul or for Jeremiah, in other words, a popularity contest. This wasn't anything about, oh my goodness, why are they not listening to me? Why is that preacher getting more likes and shares than me? It wasn't about that. It was about a deep concern and passion for the future of the people they led. And there's a lot of pastors today swimming upstream. I'm thankful that here at Covenant, we've got a really good strong core of folks. It's, it's helped me keep my sanity, especially over the last year. So many guys in my line of work don't have that kind of blessing. They don't work in that kind of environment, and they are pressured. And sometimes you, you feel that even in a healthy environment. Pastor, you should talk more about this. Pastor, you shouldn't talk at all about that. And, and often, especially if you're in a church as diverse as this one, 
it, you're going you're gonna to feel that from both sides. And, and I'll tell you what causes that. It, it's just the climate that we live in that, that can tempt us, if we're not careful, to even unconsciously just sort of reflexively move into our particular brand of, of media, social media trends I follow or echo chambers that I hang out in. And, and they all have one thing in common. This may shock you a little bit, but, but you may think that Fox News and MSNBC are different. They're not. They're almost exactly alike. They are. You may think that Vox and The Blaze, which you scroll and find on Facebook, are very radical. They are not. They are exactly alike. Because I'm going to tell you right now what all of these outlets hold in common. Here's what it is. They tell you that the problem is somebody else. Couldn't possibly be you. It's somebody else. Paul warned Timothy about that too. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears... They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And what we're reminded of today is that this temptation has always been with us. Satan has, since Eden, produced a counterfeit message that on the surface sounds so much better than the real thing, but what often sounds like freedom will lead inevitably to oppression. And so if we want to avoid hanging out, having our faith devolve into bad religion, we need to be able to discern the truth. And I think through Jeremiah's confrontation and with those he calls lying prophets, so he's pretty blunt here, we get some instruction on how to do that. And the first step is simply to, to face the inevitability of false teachers. This takes us to Jeremiah 23 and verse 9. Concerning my prophets, my heart is broken within me. All my bones shake. I am like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers because of the curse of the land mourns and the pastures of the wilderness are dried up. Their course is evil and their might is not right. Both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house I have found their evil, declares the Lord. Therefore their way shall be to them like slippery paths in the darkness, into which they shall be driven and fall. For I will bring disaster upon them in the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. So this, this again, it's not a popularity contest. Why don't they like me? Why don't I have more views? Why don't I? That's not what's going on. Jeremiah is genuinely and in a very other-centered way, shaken to his core in a way in which his own self-description is, I'm like a drunk man. Like, it's like the guy who had one too many margaritas last night, and he's sort of stumbling to a car that he shouldn't be driving. And he's fumbling around with his keys. Like, that's what's happening. But, but in this case, it's not a substance that did that to me. It's the reality of people headed toward God's judgment because they're listening to false messages, and it has so hollowed me out that I've almost lost control of some of my physical faculties. That this is how, how difficult this has been. You know, in recent weeks, I talked about my own emotional reaction to, to certain men, men that you, if I called their names, you would know them. I've called some of their names, people I looked up to, who apparently behind the scenes, there was a lot of sinful, abusive behavior that gets revealed, and it just sort of leaves you hollowed out. And then you start thinking to yourself, well, if I feel the way I do, how much worse might it be for the person who is actually these individual, individual's victims? And, and so I get a sense of what, what Jeremiah is feeling here. And that reaction comes from watching the inevitable result of an immoral, false teacher who promote something that he calls spiritual adultery. By the way, that's the metaphor that God most often uses to describe idolatry. Did you know that? Which is a way of communicating, in a very graphic way, God takes idolatry very, very personally. This is not something you need to do. When you place anything in a place that God has carved out exclusively for himself, God says, you're cheating on me. 
That behavior originates with someone who's accepted a message and adopted the behaviors of a false leader. And it's, it's what God through Jeremiah refers to when he says in verse 11, this stuff has infiltrated my people because it first entered the heart of a prophet and priest and has now filled my house. This is how you end up with a church that in the month of June is filled with rainbow flags. This is how you end up with a church that sometimes is covered with American flags and confuses nationalism with the unadulterated gospel of Jesus. This is how you end up with a partisan church, with a tribal church, with an echo chamber church. This is how you end up always hearing the problem is somebody else. It's the bigot. It's the liberal. It's the racist. It's the homophobe. It's the Marxist. It's the snowflake living next door for you. to you. Couldn't possibly be that you are separated from your God and in need of a bloody substitute provided for you in the cross of Christ that reconciles you to your creator. Oh, no, no. The problem's your neighbor. problem is your neighbor. And so we'll, we'll virtue signal. We'll do all these things. We'll make ourselves seem like the righteous ones that are looking down on, on everybody else. That's an attractive message, isn't it? I like that message. I like it. I like preaching that always tells me I'm okay and affirms all my idols and confronts the sins of other people. problem is that's exactly the message that Jeremiah is lamenting because he recognizes that it's poison to his people. Therefore, their way shall be to them like slippery paths. This is not going to end well for the people that I love. False teaching and false living by false prophets has always been a thing. And God's eventual damning of those people has also been a thing. And what we're reminded of here is that there's never going to be a time this side of the second coming of Jesus that we're not going to be called to discern between light and darkness and right and wrong, to recognize that Satan sends competing messages and that too often those messages on the surface are far more attractive than the real thing. We've got to face the inevitability, both of the presence of those threats to our own souls and to our churches and God's eventual judgment on them. Now, that's not meant to scare you, to make you paranoid. It is meant for us to wake up so that we'll be able to do the second thing, and that's recognize the fruit of a false leader. Yeah, you, you need to know. I mean, you, you know, as the old saying goes, devil doesn't show up at your door with a triangular tail and a pitchfork, and like, y'all know Dante just made that crap up, right? That's not who Satan is. That's not how he comes. He doesn't shock. He seduces. That's what he does. And so he's not going to appear to you as, as, as something ugly. He's going to appear as something attractive, as something that affirms, as something that doesn't dig at the deepest levels and root out the sin from your life and mine like a cancer. And so that means that false leaders are going to come and they're going to seem like the real thing. How do you tell the difference? Look at verse 13. In the prophets of Samaria, I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. But in the prophets in Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into all the land. So he's comparing the prophets in Jerusalem with those in Samaria. Now, a little context so that you understand what he's saying. Uh, Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. It existed from roughly 930 B.C. until its end in 722 B.C. when the Assyrian armies came in and destroyed it, all right? And so when, when Jeremiah speaks these words, it's roughly a century after Samaria has been destroyed. So when he invokes the name of Samaria, there's two things that his hearers uh, are going to sort of reflexively think of. Number one is that city is no longer there. And number two is that city was filled with people we don't like. The northern and the southern kingdom split. Think of the way the south in the United States would have maybe perceived the north in, say, 1868. 
right? That, that was the level of animosity. Oh, it's those people. It's the other. And so when Jeremiah invokes Samaria, these people immediately get a bad taste in their mouth. And then all of a sudden it occurs to them, well, that city's been completely destroyed. And they think to themselves, yeah, they had it coming. They had it coming. And so Jeremiah says, yeah, there were, there were, some, false, there were some false prophets. There were idolaters that led Israel astray. But the prophets right here in this city are worse. That had to be a shock, don't you think? And then he backs up his words. He says in verses 13 and 14, their, their fruit is the same. Their lives are indistinguishable from the false prophets of Samaria. And because of that, verse 15 says, their end is going to be the same. It, it, this is what God is saying. Y'all need to remember, I don't like idolatry. I don't like, how many times I got to say this? I don't like wickedness. I don't like immorality. I don't care where it comes from. I don't like injustice. I don't like mistreatment of the vulnerable. I don't care where it comes from. But God, I'm a registered Republican. I don't care. But God, I'm a member of a minority group. I don't care. I don't like idolatry. I don't like wickedness. I don't like injustice. I don't care what its origins is. And in these areas, you are no better than Sodom and Gomorrah. If you're not familiar with those cities, I know we've got some new Christians around here, twin cities that they thought of a lot like you and I think of New Orleans at Mardi Gras. It's like basically that's who you are. Judah's ungodliness was just like Samaria's. It was just like Sodom's. It was just like Gomorrah's. And it begins with those who teach God's ways under the banner of God's name, and they do it falsely, which is another way of alluding to one of the Ten Commandments that should be very familiar to you. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. If you're like me, I grew up hearing that verse and being applied to cussing. Don't use dirty language. Don't use bad. Well, you, look, part of the sanctification process does include an expanded vocabulary, okay? It does. But this isn't about dropping the F-bomb. It's not about, it's not, no, no. Do not take is another word saying, don't carry, don't, don't take my name in vain. It's the word for air. It's the same word that was used to describe idols. And in the context of the, the, other, the first two commandments, couldn't be any more clear. Commandment number one, no other gods. There's just me. So give me everything. Number two, no idols. Don't create anything like a god. Don't, don't do that. Number three, don't take my name in vain. You know what that means? Do not speak about me and do not live your life as one of mine in a way that makes me appear to be one of the idols that I forbid. That's what it means to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And, and Jeremiah is saying, that's what these prophets are doing because that's the fruit of a false leader. They, they attract you because they know how to throw red meat to a crowd. That, that's, not a, that's not a new skill. Nobody who has the brain of an eggplant who manages to graduate from a seminary should struggle at all with, with knowing how to push the buttons of their people. I've been here five and a half years. Y'all don't think I know how to goose the amen corners in this joint. Of course I do. They trained me to do that. I, I could do that. It'd be easy. Throw red meat to the crowd. Throw red meat. Just tell them what they want to hear. Get them juiced up. Get them fired up. And that's what was happening apparently here. Jeremiah says, but their behavior, their character, their, their faithfulness to, to me, they're no better than the Sumerian prophets, the ones you consider wicked. And so, so, so here's one of the ways to avoid bad religion. Don't assume just because somebody says things you always agree with, that they always enable you, that they always make you feel good, that they are even your friend, let alone a real messenger of God. Tim Keller used to say, you know, you're committing idolatry when the God you worship always loves everything you love and always hates everything you hate and loves and hates all the same people that you do and enables all the things that you like and that you want to do. And I would add to that, you know you're in the presence of a false teacher when they describe God like that to you. Sounds like freedom, 
But in the end, it's oppressive. So you've got to recognize the fruit of a false leader. Even as we, we recognize also the, the inevitability that this, this is going to be something we're going to have to contend with as followers of Jesus. So that thirdly, we can, we can resist the attraction of a false leader. Verse 16, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. Yeah, you're okay. It's, you're okay. It's, it'd be like knocking on somebody's door and saying, hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I'm from Covenant Church, and you don't know me, and I don't know you, and I don't really know anything about you, but I'm just here to tell you your relationship with God is just fine. It's good. Everything is good. All is well. It's going to be okay. Sometimes we like to overcomplicate things. Somebody blesses things that God curses or they curse what God blesses. They continually find excuses for the people they lead, continually bring comfort to those who maybe perhaps for their own good might need some affliction. Then what they say, according to Jeremiah, is from their own mind. It is not from the mouth of the Lord. I grew up in the deep south when I heard, where I heard this phrase a lot. Man, I like that preacher. He tells it like it is. Y'all heard that? Really? I, we, we started in recent years to even hear that about politicians. They tell it like it is. Really? Okay. Have they ever challenged you personally? Have they ever like, really made you angry? Have they pushed up against something that maybe there's some change and you're not? Well, no. Okay. Well, then likely is not. They're not telling it like it is. Otherwise, you wouldn't always like them. I mean, unless you think you're perfect. Then we got another problem, right? And the response is simple, too. Do not listen to them. Oh, but Pastor Joel, sometimes they say, especially these, these doggone cartoon characters that I see sometimes, and just telling everybody what they want to hear and promising them health and wealth and prosperity and all this nonsense. Like, you, you've got to quit listening to that guy. Quit watching them on television. Quit downloading their crap. Quit reading their books. Quit, quit filling your mind. But Pastor, sometimes they say things that are true. Well, I'm sure that's probably the case in the same way that I can find clean water in the bottom of the freaking toilet, but I ain't drinking it. Do not listen to them. Those aren't my words. Those are Jeremiah's words, which is another way of saying they're the Holy Spirit's words. Will you listen? And here's why the instruction is so blunt. Verse 18. Who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth. A whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it clearly. Judgment is coming. This is the true prophet. And what he says isn't all pleasant. There's hope in Jeremiah, but not before judgment. And this is kind of what you want in a truth teller, right? I mean, if, if, if I have cancer, I don't want to hear that news. I don't look forward to hearing it. I wouldn't look forward to I saw my father go through chemo and radiation. I saw what it did to his body. I would not want to go through that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want the complications and the surgeries. I wouldn't want the sky-high medical bills. But you know what else I don't want? A quack doctor telling me that everything's cool and that I don't need any treatment. If a hurricane's coming, you, you don't want the inconvenience of having to board up and hunker down or maybe even escape and live in a temporary housing for a while. You also don't want a meteorologist to lie to you, do you? And that's what we find here. Bad religions lie. False prophets lie. And their lies are meant to attract you, not to confront you, because they don't care about you. 
These are people who have no problem watching you eventually face the consequences of your sin in this life, or at worst, even the wrath of God in the next one, as long as they can garner your adoration and your following and your Facebook likes and some of your money in their pocket and your attention. And for this reason, judgment awaits them because, verse 21, I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. If they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from their evil deeds. I did not send them. But they say they're a man of God. Well, what they do? Probably got an ordination certificate out of a bubblegum machine, too. Doesn't make it so. I did not send them. And, and if you would take the time to compare what they say with my word, you would know this. That's what Jeremiah is trying to teach us here. You need to become intimately familiar with my word so that you can tell a fake when you spot it. And, and that, again, that's, that's part of a, a pastor's role, equipping the saints to just get really, really good with their Bibles, with walking in the Spirit, so you can catch this stuff. Because I, I get all kinds of requests, almost weekly sometimes. Hey, pastor, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? I... I want to get to as many of them as I can. There are hundreds of you here. There's simply no way that, that I can do it. I don't have the bandwidth for it. I got the same 168 hours a week you do. And sometimes I just don't have the time. And, and it's amazing. I get the whole, you know, would you watch this and tell me, yeah, I, <laughs> I got a 60-hour week coming up. I don't know if I'm going to have time to get to it. Well, I thought my pastor would. Your pastor will equip you to be able to discern whether that's true or false, but, but I, I can't serve the entire body well if I stop every single time somebody sends me a 90-minute YouTube video of some dude in his basement and says, will you watch all of this and then write me a detailed description and critique of what you think of it? But here's what I can do. I can equip you to do it. I can equip you to spot it. And that's exactly what Jeremiah is calling us to do. I can give you the tools you need to discern for yourself. In fact, many of you are already using those tools. When all this QAnon nonsense came out, I got private messages from all kinds of people. Is this true? Is this going on? Now, I could have done a couple of things. I could have said, this is crap. Don't listen to it. And it is, and that would have been the truth. But way back then, when emotions were running high, that might not have gotten the result that a pastor should desire. So instead of doing that, you know what I did? So many of these people have been listening to me week after week. They've been in small group with their other brothers and sisters. They've been in a classroom with me or another one of their pastors. And they would go, is this true? And rather than say yes or no, I would say, all right, remember this? Remember when we talked about that? Remember when this, remember your approach to the text. Do you remember that? Did that make sense to you? Yeah, all right. I want you to take that grid of biblical truth and I want you to lay it over the top of this thing you're asking me if it's true. And I want you to answer that question for yourself. And they would go, oh my gosh, that doesn't fit at all. There you go. All right. There's not a person listening to me right now that's not capable of that. If you will arm yourself with the word of God, you can do it. You can absolutely do it. And, and what we get a sense of here is, is when our antenna should go up. It, it's when I get sucked into something that's so incredibly attractive 
that it always enables me. It always excuses or rationalizes attitudes in me and behavior that God clearly condemns relative to my neighbor when somebody continually tells me that I'm okay and that the real problem is somewhere else. I need to beware because there's all kinds of attractive messages screaming for your attention. And they promise joy and freedom. And for a time, they may even deliver. They may give you a euphoric high. That could happen. But in the end, what sounds like freedom ends in oppression. What sounds like affirmation could end in judgment. What sounds like a really attractive faith ends as a bad religion. And from his own time, Jeremiah has given us a description of that attractive oppression. Bad religion will tell you the problem is always with them. The best of faith says, first take the log out of your own eye. It starts with me. Bad religion produces the same kind of rotten fruit, whether it's toxicity, whether it's anger unjust, whether it's just hatred for other people, whatever. it's the same kind of rotten fruit that looks exactly like the world. The best of faith produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, meekness, gentleness, and self-control. Bad religion doesn't require you to change. It actually demands that others become more like you. The best of faith conforms you and them to the image of Jesus. And the best of faith, brothers and sisters, it always points to Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, the ability to discern, the ability to rightly judge for the good of our own souls, the difference between light and darkness, the difference between truth and, and falsehood. And so, Lord, I, I pray over these coming weeks and months that it would not end with this series. But, Father, through, through some of the fall classes and other ways that we are, are equipping our brothers and sisters here at Covenant that we would become more greatly familiar with the truth. As you have revealed it here in this context through the prophet Jeremiah, as you would reveal it later on through your servant Paul, and as you reveal ultimately through the Lord Jesus. And so, Father, may we look and may we discern and may we, not just individually, but as an entire church, may we march toward freedom. And may we take others with us with the best of faith. And Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here. And I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.